So here's the question. How do active people in the Atlanta area stay pain-free and live the active, fulfilled life that they deserve at any age? This is the question, and this podcast is the answer. I'm Danny Matei, and welcome to the Active Atlanta Podcast. The Active Atlanta Podcast is sponsored by Athletes Potential. At Athletes Potential, we help active adults stay that way, pain-free and active doing the sports and activities that they love for life. We do this by working on four different areas. That's movement, nutrition, stress management, and sleep. When we optimize these four areas, you feel better, you move better, and you live better for life. Head to athletespotential.com to learn how we can help you stay active for life today. Hey, what's going on, guys? Doc Danny here with the Active Atlanta podcast, and we've got my good friend Bruce Hagen on from Hagen Laws. Hagen Roscoff, uh, correct, is the practice? That is correct. Yes. Practice. So, Bruce, personal injury lawyer, he's an athlete, even though he might say he's not, he's a badass. He is a husband, dad. He actually works with his son, which I think is really cool. Uh, Music lover and cyclist, as well as cycling advocate. You want to add anything else to that, that, that long list there? Uh, no, I, th- I think you could add a ton to that, but I love all of it. Mm. So, uh, we'll yeah. just keep it at that. I, you know, I, I want to stay focused. So last time we talked, I don't know if you remember this, but I asked you, I said, Hey, do, don't you think it would be badass if lawyers had to come out to like a, a song, like a, like a, you know, somebody on the Braves comes out of their like walk up song. Do you remember what you told me what the song was? Oh, absolutely. It was Mount Crushmore by Lettuce. La- Mount Crushmore by Lettuce. So check it out. That's a badass song, by the way. <laughs> That's it, man. I can see you walking the court to that. Oh, I, I visualize. Usually, I see myself walking in slow motion as the yeah. song is playing. So play it um, out. Yeah, I feel yeah, like you you kind of walk in slow motion, I, and right right when like the the beat really hits right there, you like throw your briefcase down on the on the table potentially, <laughs> like something right. really cool like that. I I just think that should happen, and I think you could you could be a trendsetter. Um, you know, in the profession, if you decide you want to. Well, thank you. I'll, I'll look at that. You know, I'm not a TV advertising lawyer, but I think uh, if I were that, that would be a good visual. Yeah. Uh, and I'd have to contact the band to get their licensing rights yeah. to use that song. But yep. I don't think we need to worry about that for a podcast purpose. True. And also now that I think about it, it's a good thing we have a, um, a fairly small listenership base. Otherwise, Lettuce might be a little unhappy about um, <laughs> us playing their song on the podcast. <laughs> that's okay. Whatever. They'll, they'll never hear it. I doubt it. Anyway, uh, I think that's great, man. You know, uh, you know for, for, uh, for me, you know, if anybody I know that has, you know, any sort of uh, personal injury issue, you're always the go-to person that I recommend just because, <clears throat> you know, it does happen. And sometimes somewhere somebody needs an honest person to kind of really give them an idea of what they should do next. And in particular, you know, we work with so many cyclists now just in the area that we're in in Decatur, it's a big cycling community. Um, you're, you're a part of that community and I know you know it well. Uh, you know, we do see people that are, you know, getting in more accidents on bikes and more people are trying to commute to and from work because traffic is just getting worse and worse and worse. So, um, you know, Give us an idea of, you know, commuters and, and cyclists, how many, how many more people are, are really kind of commuting to work via, via bike and, and accidents associated with that. Is it, is it really becoming more and more prevalent in Atlanta at this time? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sorry that you're seeing more people who get injured in bike crashes because I think actually that on a percentage basis, 
the number of crashes is down because more people are riding. But yeah. on a, a gross numbers basis, you're seeing more folks just because more people are riding. Uh, and interestingly, the more people who are out there on the roads, the more comfortable car drivers are, the more they expect to see people on bikes, yeah. and the fewer crashes that you should have. Um, so yes, bike, bike riding is definitely increasing in Atlanta, and it's, it, to some extent is seasonal, but the way things are here, you could pretty much ride year round with very little discomfort. And um, even if you don't care to ride in the ugly months, you can still ride about nine or 10 months out of the year right. uh, and still be very comfortable doing so. So, uh, yeah, it's a huge population. You know, where your office is located, your primary office uh, on Cap Avenue is a big corridor. You've got the Stone Mountain Trail right across from your office. So a lot of people come by there. You're right there with the very controversial uh, planters that City of Decatur put out to yeah. block a lane of car travel. And we're seeing this more and more where the cities are really going out of their way to encourage folks to get out of the car to get around. Um, this has been something that City of Atlanta has really struggled with. Um, and as part of the advocacy that I do, um, I've been down at the city council. I've talked to various city council people in Atlanta. I've talked to the mayor briefly in Atlanta. Uh, what's brought all this to a head as far as this lack of safe space for people to get around outside the car are the e-scooters and, and, and the way that the e-scooter explosion that just kind of came out of nowhere so suddenly a little over a year ago, it's just revealed all the um, flaws in our infrastructure. And with several highly publicized deaths that happened to people while they were riding scooters, the city is now really aggressively playing catch up to try to provide safe spaces for people. So uh, from an advocacy standpoint, this is something I've been really involved with. Um, I may be one of the few people you know who is doing everything I can to put himself out of business. <laughs> because ide ideally, um, cycling will be the safest thing and we'll, um, we'll have a true Vision Zero concept. Vision Zero is a movement that says that um, metropolitan areas should tolerate zero deaths per year as far as their goal and that they should work towards doing everything you can. And it's a multi-pronged approach to create an environment where you have zero deaths per year from people on bicycles. So um, that's, that's what we'd like to see happen. Well, is, is there a certain city in the U.S. that you feel like does a really good job of allowing people to, you know, commute safely to and from the city and work. Um, you, you know, it, that's, do you think Atlanta could really, you know, model itself after? The example that really comes to mind for folks is Portland, Oregon. Portland has a connected network of protected bike lanes that allow folks to just get around. And, you know, it, being here in the South, we think of Portland, Oregon, and we think of just rain, uh, 11 months out of the year and clouds uh, the other days when it's not raining. But Portland actually is a very um, friendly place weather-wise to ride and everybody rides bikes there. Mm. And so you're not considered an outlier if you show up at your office uh, soaking wet or drenched in sweat. But more importantly, they go out of their way to provide safe spaces for people to ride their bikes. And, and it's something that's done systematically. So the sidewalks are in good shape, which allow people to walk. The, they offer protected bike lanes to separate cars from bikes so that the bikes can move um, fluently throughout the city. Um, they offer other incentives to people. I think a lot of the employers offer incentives to folks who commute by bike to work. So, um, and, and they have enforcement. The police will enforce the laws 
both to hold cyclists accountable, but more importantly, to protect cyclists from aggressive driving behavior. So all of that together creates a really friendly environment. And it's one that I think other cities that are kind of forward thinking on this issue are trying to copy. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know if I would consider Atlanta forward thinking on something like that. I mean, I maybe maybe, you know, you have a different opinion. Um, I do feel like it's a city that has just uh, is very sprawling and has grown significantly even since I've been here you know I've only been here for about five years but uh, the infrastructure even just drive a car sometimes you know like DeKalb or any number of these other you know roads boulevard memorial whatever um, they're not exactly the nicest roads in the world to drive a car on let alone bike I feel like you almost need like a mountain bike to get around on on, on some of them even when you're on pavement so I don't know do, do you feel like like what steps really need to be taken initially for Atlanta to start to make a, make a, a movement toward a move towards being more bike friendly because I, I do think it just gives people an alternative number one you know eco friendly but also from an activity standpoint we know so many people are sedentary and if you have the capacity and the and the willingness to to, to be able to ride to and from work um, man it's a great way to offset some of that time where you're really just inactive. You're right about that. And October is ride to work month, so it's a great time for folks who are listening mm. to this to maybe uh, get out and try to make a change here and just give it a try one day. Um, I, to answer your original question, I do not consider Atlanta to be very forward thinking on this subject. In fact, I consider Atlanta government to be very reactive uh, and even slow to do that. Uh, but there have been some really highly uh, publicized and terrible tragedies that almost force these politicians into having to take action seemingly against their will. Um, and um, a lot of citizen groups have sort of sprung up at a grassroots level to supplement the work that's, be done, that's being done by the formal advocacy groups like Atlanta Bicycle Coalition, which is constantly out there um, trying to raise awareness about the need for some safety issues. Georgia Bikes is a statewide agency that's kind of vested with the responsibility of providing education and resources to, to, about safe cycling. But at a grassroots level, uh, again, coming back even to your location, um, a couple months ago, somebody started a protest ride on DeKalb Avenue to try to raise awareness that, you know, DeKalb Avenue is a place where nobody feels safe if they're outside of the protective steel case of your car. Oh, yeah. If you just try to walk on the sidewalk, you feel like you're at risk, let alone if you're on a bike. And so the city had done a um, splossed tax to raise money for infrastructure, had come up with a plan that included um, spending money to make DeKalb Avenue what they call a complete street, a complete street being something that's safe for all users. Uh, but when it came right down to the time to actually spend the money and implement some of these changes, they offered nothing for DeKalb Avenue, not even a stripe of paint to create a bike lane. Um, wow. And this came in where that, some of that money that had been intended to go for these um, safe infrastructure projects had instead been used, I think it was $33 million used to build a bridge to connect parking lots to Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So wow. there was a real uproar over this. And some activists got in the head that, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to organize a Friday ride down to Cab Avenue, follow the law. You know, you're allowed to be out on the road. You're allowed to be riding a bike. But just... Um, go at a comfortable pace and try to point out to folks how dangerous this is and how it should be one of these safe corridors so that people can get around easily, right? And it's been very successful. It got the attention of the head of Renew Atlanta, which is the company that um, makes the recommendations for how to spend that splossed money. Uh, it got the city council's attention. Uh, one of the Atlanta city councilmen came and joined the ride one day. So it's making some strides, but it always seems to be like 
you're, you're forcing the city to try to do something against their will. Um, it certainly is something that um, we'd like to see more people doing and getting out on the bikes. And you're absolutely right from an activity standpoint. Uh, it really is something that is, is hugely beneficial. And one of the things that has changed, um, changed the environment significantly, especially here in Atlanta, is the, um, are the e-bikes, yeah. where you can actually now, for people who don't consider themselves elite athletes or don't have the strength and stamina necessarily somebody who's been riding a long time, you've got a whole new generation of folks who can get back on a bike. Um, and when they get to an area that requires just a little bit more push to get up a hill, they've got that power assist on the bike to get them to do it. So I think that's getting people out on the road. Those um, are amazing. It's, it's like, uh, absolutely. it's shocking. Actually, I, I was on one of those in uh, Salt Lake City. It actually was like a, it wasn't one you could rent. It was this guy uh, that I, I just, I knew I was, I was, uh, I was actually doing uh, Murph in his garage. At, I was out there for a workshop and I have a friend that just does Murph every Saturday. So I had to do it with him. Um, not, not intentionally trying to do that at altitude, which was terrible enough as it is. But then to make things better at the end, he let me um, take his, uh, his electronic assist low rider bike out. And it was terrifying because it could get up to like 45 miles an hour. And you know, it was, it was just shocking how like much torque that that thing has. But if, but if you're talking about like the ones that you can, that you can rent uh, to get around, like, yeah, for sure. They're amazing. If you, you know, if you want to hit a little hill and get a little, uh, a little boost from the e-bike and from the little battery they have there, I think those things are incredible for people that are really trying to get around, but don't have the, uh, the physical capacity to be able to ride a bike, however far they're going to work. 45 miles an hour sounds faster than any e-bike should go. And now you're starting to get into the um scooter range or you know that Vespa type of range of 50 yeah. cc engine uh it didn't turn well uh, it didn't combustion. turn well at all <laughs> he, right, just, right. he was like dude i got this e-bike that goes 45 miles an hour you want to try it and i go yeah like who says no to that of course you have to try that <laughs> right can you get it to go 70 <laughs> um, you know, where's the, the hill the, yeah. right the other thing yeah. that's cha changed things in atlanta uh, is that we're seeing so much new density coming in and people settling in areas that historically you had nobody living there. I mean, just look right. what's happening on Memorial Drive oh, yeah. uh, and, and DeKalb Avenue. And, and you know, all over the city, you're having um, more and more people come into these tight spaces. Largely, I think, a byproduct of the Beltline and its success is that people really just want to be close in town uh, and they don't want to be... Um, completely locked up inside their cars. So people are looking for ways other than driving to get around because in the absence of a really well fleshed out transit system, which we don't have here, um, what else can you do? I mean, you're left with either being stuck in a car or finding yeah. alternatives such as riding a bike. Well, that just happened to you, right? I mean, you moved back in town. Yeah, and now I'm uh, riding my bike to and from work as much as I can. And so yeah. it's, uh, it's been great for me. I mean, I've had weeks go by where I just don't drive my car. And, uh, that feels great. I love it. Yeah, no, that, it's great. You know, and I think for, for you in particular, you know, being able to take a step back and look at, okay, what, if you want to do this and you want to ride to work, just knowing like, you know, we don't live, uh, it, you're not riding through Stone Mountain where the speed limit is 25 miles an hour and it's probably incredibly, you know, safe place to ride. If you're talking about just the cab in general, just, just even driving down to cab can get sketchy, you know, with people not really understanding what lane is, is what, and I'm surprised there's not more really bad stuff that happens on, on that road. But if somebody wants to ride to work, you know, what are some basic strategies, equipment maybe that's really, uh, you know, uh, worth their, their time, um, their investment to make sure that they're safe as they commute to work? 
Well, it really doesn't take much. And that's one of the nice things about it. And certainly from an equity standpoint, it's one of the things that makes bikes the great equalizer because there's just not this tremendous barrier to entry uh, to get started. Certainly, you should have a good helmet. It's not the law for anybody um, over the age of 16. You don't have to wear a helmet. But certainly having a good helmet uh, makes a lot of sense. And I've seen the results from people who hit their head on the ground when they're wearing helmets and when they don't. And uh, without getting into too much of a debate that's mainly cyclist wonky kind of stuff, um, my opinion is that you're better off wearing a helmet. Um, but there are a lot of resources out there. And, and for a person to take a few minutes to do some research, um, you can find a lot of information. Most of the time on Google Maps, it'll show you some safer routes that you can go by bike versus by car. Um, there, there are programs and apps out there like Strava is one, yeah. that, and, and Map My Ride is another one, and they offer heat maps that show you where people are riding primarily. And so if you see a highly uh, populated area of heat maps uh, where there's a lot of riders there, you know that, okay, this is probably a good place for me to be riding a bike. There'll be other people on bikes there too. And the more that cars see other people on bikes, the more likely they are to expect you to be there. Um, on Facebook, if, if your listeners are in the Atlanta area, on Facebook, there's a Facebook page called Bike Commuters of Atlanta. Um, and just to give you an idea of how this is a growing space, uh, a few years ago, there were only 500 people that were in this group. Now it's close to 5,000 people that are in the Bike Commuters of Atlanta wow. Facebook page. And um, anybody who's new to this that just says, hey, I'm commuting from starting point X to ending point Y, do you have any ideas for a good route I can take? Um, you'll get people who are very knowledgeable on the subject, chiming in, willing to help, offering you several different alternatives, probably even offering to escort you uh, the first few times to yeah. get the hang of it because cool. it's, it, it's, it's just a friendly group and, and welcoming group um, that they're always out there trying to encourage other folks to, uh, to get in there and safely participate in commuting. Yeah, no, that, that's great. You know, I've noticed the same thing too. I, quite a few of my, you know, clients I work with, they, they commute regularly. Um, they're advocates, you know, for it as well. And, uh, they, they just seem like they want everybody to, you know, to be able to at least have an opportunity to do that. I mean, sometimes you don't have that, right? Like if you, if you live in John's Creek and you work downtown, it's probably not the best idea. You know, like <clears throat> it's a long way. You're going to, it's hard not to be on a highway. It's going to take, you know, a long time. It may be more dangerous, but if you live, you know, like for instance, I live in Grant Park, but for me to get to, uh, to Decatur, there's plenty of back road ways that, that I can go. There's only certain places where it's like, man, got to be careful, you know, with, with these streets in particular. Um, and that really brings us up, uh, brings to the topic of what, what are like, what are common, uh, laws, uh, cycle or bike and, and uh, road laws that people just frequently don't understand or get wrong that can lead to uh, people just getting injured or getting in an accident? Sure. And, and, you know, I hear it on both ends because um, certainly anybody who's on a bike, just like anybody in a car, has an obligation to follow the rules of the road. Um, and if you talk to folks who drive and are aggravated by people on bikes it's always the same complaints that i hear they don't want to stop at stop signs they never stop they run red lights um some states by the way this is kind of a side issue some states have a law that says you can treat stop signs as yield signs uh it used to be called the iowa stop or i'm sorry the idaho stop but um now more states have adopted it so they can't call it the idaho stop anymore yeah but it makes a lot of sense for bikes to say that hey you know a stop sign can be a yield sign for you but realistically for car drivers 
the things that we see that are the most common problems are number one, um, a, a driver of a car is required to leave a reasonably safe distance when passing somebody on a bike. And that reasonably safe distance is defined as being no less than three feet. And it's no less than three feet from the widest part of your vehicle, which is typically the side mirror, yeah. to the widest part of the bike, which is usually the handlebars or somebody's elbow. Um, three feet's a nice, comfortable distance. And so, you know, it, it, people who violate that law by getting impatient and trying to pass too closely to bikes, those tend to be some of the worst offenders and the ones that we see frequently. The other thing that we see frequently, and it's mind-boggling to me how often it happens, are car drivers who will make a right turn directly into the path of someone on a bike that is going the same direction. And, and typically, somebody that the person in the car just passed the guy on the bike yeah. and then made a right turn in front of them. And, and so, you know, you, you have to yield when you're making a turn to everybody who's out on the road. And that includes bicycles going the same or opposite direction. Um, it really becomes a matter of car drivers expecting to see bikes and acting in, in such a way that they're looking for bikes. Um, and that's why I said earlier, the more people who are out riding, the safer it is for everybody because the more that drivers are accustomed to expecting and anticipating a bike to be on the road, the less blind they are to it. They don't have that situational blindness where they're only looking for cars and they're therefore blind to everything else, pedestrians, bicycles, scooters, whatever. Um, you know, places where everybody's riding bikes, uh, you just don't have car crashes like that. You know, yeah. In Amsterdam, the numbers are, are tiny for people who get hit like, uh, you know, while they're riding a bike. So um, that, that's a big one, but really it comes down to awareness. And, and I would say in today's day and age too, it, it's distracted driving. You know, that, that's the enemy of all of us. I, I probably, I, I don't only handle bike wreck cases, right? I handle just regular car versus car crashes. Yeah. But it seems to me that at least 75% of the cases we handle are the result of somebody being distracted almost every single time by a cell phone. Wow. So if, if you can just manage to put the phone down and leave it down during the course of time that you're driving, um, I feel like you're going to be that much more attentive to the road, to people on bicycles, people jogging, other cars, and it's really going to cut down on the number of crashes. Now, even with, you know, with cyclists in general as well, I think, I mean, some of this, it's, it's really hard to tell sometimes what somebody's doing. Like, for instance, if you want to see pure confusion about uh, bikes and cars, just go to the, the intersection where the Krog Tunnel is, and it's incredibly confusing because it seems like people go from being pedestrians on the sidewalk to then on the road to then back on the sidewalk, then back on the road and like cutting a, and then moving over and then cutting across, uh, like a, like a, a sidewalk, um, or a, a, a walkway, uh, a crosswalk where they're getting back on the, on the belt line. And it's like, do you have to pick one or is it, is it legal to just kind of decide oh, I'm a pedestrian, I want to do the pedestrian route now. And then now I'm going to get back on the, on the road. Cause I do think like, that's something that as a, as someone driving, I don't think people know, you know, like what, what does that look like? Not just, maybe the cyclist doesn't even know what the, the actual law is. Well, you're right. I think you're right in both regards. And, and, you know, one of the things we teach cyclists is to ride in a predictable manner and, and, and ride in a way that drivers understand what it is mm. you're trying to do. So you're not surprising anybody. Um, the law says that if you're over the age of 12, you're not allowed to ride on the sidewalk. Um, that particular area at Krog is really kind of a bugaboo because Number one, um, 
you have that walkway through the tunnel. If you've ever walked it, it's really cool. But right. some people try to ride their bike on the walkway. Um, they're just afraid to be in such a narrow, confined, one-lane space, and it's dark coming in from light usually. Um, and so they don't feel safe being in the street in that area. Um, they've also created something called a pedestrian scramble there where they'll stop the, the traffic in all directions to allow people to cross the street, yeah. largely because you had such a huge number of cars and scooters, I'm sorry, bikes and scooters and pedestrians as the Beltline connected through there. So, so they're really trying to figure that space out. It, it is tricky. And you see it also at uh, 10th Street in Monroe where Piedmont Park uh, meets yep. up with the Beltline kind of right there. You have so many people in such a small little space and yeah, nobody really knows what they're supposed to be doing there. So, so one thing the city did was to just say, well, we're going to stop traffic in all directions and allow people to cross in those areas. So it really just takes a little creativity. To, to your point, an understanding of what the laws are and, and what's required of you, both as a bike rider and a driver, and then um, acting with respect towards others and, and with intention so that people know what it is you're going to do and you're not surprising anybody is one of the keys to safety. Yeah. It, well, you know, I think the other thing too, that um, can be a bit confusing is if, if you're on a bike, you, are you basically following the same exact rules as a car? For instance, if, if let's say there's a red light and there's a couple cars, you know, in front of you, do you have to stop behind the car that you're behind or can you scoot up to the front and the side of that front car? Um, even if there's not a bike lane? You're asking the same questions that police officers ask me when I go and teach police, uh, <laughs> teach bike law to the cops, uh, because there's just confusion on this. And unfortunately, the law is not written particularly clearly in that regard. Mm. Um, I will tell you, so that if there's two lanes of cars, let's say going south, and you're on a bike going south, you can't ride between the two, the two cars, right? So you can't split the lanes uh, going down the middle. So, so the real question comes, can you pass a stopped or slow moving car on the right side of that car? And, and the short answer is usually yes, but it depends on how much space there is to the right of that car. So mm. let's say, uh, you know, we're talking about DeKalb Avenue. Let's say you're on DeKalb Avenue and a car stopped at a light and, and tent cars are stopped at the light, but there's enough roadway to the right of those cars where you could fit a lane of travel without somebody having to leave the roadway. And, and a lane of travel for a bike, a bike lane is not that wide. You know, four feet, four and a half feet is, is enough width for a bike lane. So I look at it that if there's enough space to the right of those cars where you could put a bike lane, then it's legal for a bicycle to pass those stopped cars to go up to the traffic light. The caveat to that is that the people on the bike, you have to yield to anybody who's making a right turn. So oh. you better make sure that nobody's making a right turn at that point. Now it's different if there's an actual striped bike lane there. Right. Because if there's a striped bike lane there, that's a lane just like any other lane. Mm -hmm. And if a car is gonna make a right turn across that bike lane, then that car has to yield to anything who's coming uh, from their right. So we unfortunately see that too often too, but it's yep. just because who's in the habit of turning right and looking back and behind them right. to see if anybody's coming on a bike. Yet that's, you know, you're uh, impeding the flow of traffic in that through lane if you make a right turn across it as a car driver. So um, I guess it's a long answer to a pretty simple question. Yes, you can pass on, on the right under those types of circumstances. Yeah. So, I mean, and it, it just depends. It sounds like, and, and this even happened to my uh, uh, Ashley's stepsister. Um, actually, somebody ran into her 
on their bike because the exact same things happened that you're just talking you were talking about she was turning right and there was a uh there was a bike that she didn't see that was like going um downhill that had turned on from another street that basically caught up to where she was at and as she turned right there was no bike lane and he basically ran into the side of um her car and not, it, not a bad i mean he wasn't hurt or anything but she was very confused she was like oh man did i I, he was obviously angry. He thought that, uh, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was her fault and she didn't even know he was there and, and there was no bike lane and he, he was on the right. And, and it is, it's something that now I, because I'm so aware of it, I always check my right now whenever I'm turning because there are so many bikes in particular in, in, um, in our neighborhood, but I think, yeah, and, and, you know, and scooters as well. And, and, you know, yeah. at least I, I find most people on bikes understand that they're required to follow the rules of the road, but I don't get the sense that people on e-scooters have any, um, sense whatsoever. And in fact, it's not even clear that they are required to follow the rules of the road. The only, the only, um, dictate that's come from the city is you can't ride them on the sidewalks. And so, uh, you know, it's kind of like, Really, the Wild West out there. So, so the Beltline. What like, about that? Yeah. So the Beltline. They supposedly had reduced speed on the uh, on the e-scooters by geocaching uh, the Beltline and oh. uh, creating a rule that the, um, they wouldn't la- allow the e-scooters to get above eight miles an hour during peak congestion times, which makes sense to have some speed restrictions. You know. Um, yeah. But but I don't know how effective that is and if it's really working. I was out on the Beltline, sort of near. Irwin Street in that area, Edgewood, um, a couple weekends ago. And I mean, I, I was scared to even turn around for fear that someone was just going to plow me over on this. On a were you scooter. walking or were you on a bike? Yeah, just walking. Just walking. Yeah. Oh, you, you got to be situationally aware, man. I don't bring my kids out there unless it's like, I don't know, some very early time, you know, on a Saturday when nobody else is out there. Or if they've got like a break from school, my son and I will go and like, ride the belt line and get a smoothie at Arden's garden and then like come back. Uh, you know, but, but I don't bring them out there when there's a, there's a lot of people. I think just in, in its own right, there's probably more, you know, minor accidents that happen there than probably any other road in Atlanta from a, uh, from a cycling standpoint. And sometimes you're like, dude, why are you on the belt line training for a freaking triathlon with your zip wheels? dude? Like <laughs> you're going 30 miles an hour on the belt line. Like think so true. different yeah, spot. It, this is not the right you know, spot. Go, go do that at 2 a.m. if you must, or 6 a.m. <laughs> but, you know, these guys were, like, trying to set a, a record in the time trial on 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday. Right. Uh, it's like, come on, man. This, this is not what the Beltline is for. So oh. it's, um, it's yeah, dangerous. It, it, but I, I think, I think to your point, you know, looking at like DeKalb, I'm really interested to see what they do with that because it, it seems like it would be such a cool idea. Could you, I mean, could you imagine like if you worked in downtown Atlanta and you lived somewhere off of DeKalb, being able to have a hundred percent protected bike lane all the way into downtown, you know, and, and have like a designated road. I wonder how many people would actually utilize that. Well, that's the big question, right? And, and sometimes you hear from the government folks, like, why would we build this here? Nobody rides there. And it's like, yeah, nobody rides there because you don't have anything <laughs> built for them to ride in. So we definitely believe that if you build it, they will come. Yeah. And, and you know, some of the alternative streets like McClendon and Edgewood, um, you know, they have some bike lane there. But, you know, Edgewood in particular, you've got one commercial business after another. And it's really uncomfortable to try to get it to downtown on that way. And McClendon is hilly. It's narrow. It's, it's, uh, it's a whole different set of challenges that, uh, that come compared to just the straight shot to go uh, on pretty much level ground on the cab Avenue. And if cars really are that committed to going on, going fast, well, you know, I 20 is not that far. I go over to I 20 to get it downtown. 
So what do you think about like lights on a bike? I, I feel like some people I see and they barely have anything. If, you know, I'll, I'll go to work. It, it, usually I get there around like 5.15, 5.30 in the morning. And, and I definitely do see people, you know, biking to work at that, at that time on DeKalb in particular. Um, some of them, they may have like one little, you know, strobe light. Some people look like an, a UFO. They have a light on every yep. know, joint of their body and, and they're both front and back of their bike. What, what are your recommendations for somebody that's riding, let's say, you know, earlier in the morning in terms of visibility and making sure that they're, they're being proactive about not, you know, being, you know, accidentally, uh, in, in the wrong spot. So the law requires that if you're riding in the dark, that in front of the bike, you have to have a white light that can be visible up to 300 feet. And in the rear, you have to at least have a red reflector. Uh, it doesn't even require you to have a light in the back as long as you've got a reflector. Do you recommend a reflector on the back? Wait, you know, you, you want I mean, a, a light. Right, you, Light on the back, light on front, light on the sides, light on, they say one of the most effective things you can do for either lights and reflective material is to put them on the parts of your body that are moving the most. Huh. So people uh, will put, and we just, we just generated, in fact, this giveaway for uh, the Atlanta Streets Alive Festival that they just had yesterday, uh, but just an ankle cuff that has uh, you know, bright, uh, high, high visibility reflective quality to it to put on your ankles, whether you're wearing pants, or you're trying to cuff them or not, because as your feet are pistoning up and down, that movement is the most visible thing to somebody who might be in a car wow. coming a different direction with their lights on you that forces them to see you. So, so uh, yeah, I, I think that, um, and it's an issue we see as far as people being lit up or not. And unfortunately it's, it becomes one of those things that um, folks who are riding for fitness tend to have, um, money and they tend to spend the money on gadgets and gears and lights and things like that. Folks who are riding as commuters tend to be very aware of their surroundings and they'll be light up. Folks who may be riding because they're in a socioeconomic class that really doesn't offer them many alternatives. They can't afford a car. They don't get around on uh, other transportation, but are riding because it's the only means available to them. They're the most likely to get hurt and the least likely, unfortunately, to have access to things like lights. And um, it, it's, it's a problem we try to remedy and there are a lot of giveaway programs, but it's a hard community to reach because it, uh, unlike the community of 5,000 Facebook uh, commuters, yeah. um, this community is hard to reach that way. And so, so getting them information, putting on educational programs, providing safety equipment becomes sort of a one-on-one -on -one outreach through shelters, through churches and, and things like that. So if, if you're on a bike, and you know your commuter is let's let's say you know you get in an accident and it's not your fault uh does does your vehicle insurance cover uh any of that or is that completely you know separate um and if so is there any recommendation you have for someone that's a commuter to have insurance that might cover them when they are on their bike Sure. Uh, let me get that in a second. One other thing I, I want to say about the lights issue, yeah. that there's some really cool products out there right now that are light for either the front or rear facing on your bike, but all as, they, uh, as the light is on and people use those in uh, light or dark to record their rides and it becomes really critical. Uh, there are a lot of hit and runs that yeah. come up. There are a lot of disputes you know, the car drivers frequently say that bike came out of nowhere or they came off the sidewalk, uh, whatever they say. 
um, you now have video evidence of it. And we're seeing that more and more, uh, again, among the people who can afford them because those cameras are expensive. But that's an investment that's well worth it. And, and maybe this goes back to a question from a little while back of, you know, what are some of the things that commuters need? If you can afford it, get one of those camera lights. Cyclic is one company that makes great ones. Um, and those things can be your best friend if something happens to you. Yeah. Uh, now, you told me a crazy the, story about uh, somebody throwing like a fire extinguisher at somebody on the bike. <laughs> yeah. People lose their minds. You know, there's a lot of angry people in the world today. I, I really know, are. It's, it, it, to some extent, it might depend on what, what news channel you're watching and getting your news from. <laughs> right. because it's just, it just seems that everybody's mad at something. And particularly right. people in, in cars who are stuck in traffic get really mad. So we, oh, we, yeah. we see a lot of uh, road rage type of incidents. Um, you know, I just tell them, but hey, man, listen to lettuce, relax, get out on the bike, and, and, and try to enjoy life a little bit more. You seem stressed. Right. That's a great uh, idea. Yeah, right. But um, gosh, now, now I forget. Oh, so, so yeah, so, so does your car insurance cover you? You know, if, if you get in a crash with a driver, you're on a bike and the driver of a car is at fault, um, you're going to be covered for your losses just like it would if you were car versus car. Mm. So that means if the other driver damaged your property, which would be your bike, your helmet, your clothes, whatever it might be, then they would be obligated to pay for the cost of replacing or repairing as needed, um, just like it would be with a car. And if they cause an injury, they'd be obligated to make you whole for your losses, just like it would car versus car. The times that a, a person on a bike would be able to use their own insurance would be um, if they have something called uninsured motorist coverage. And if the listeners to this podcast only take one thing away from this, it doesn't matter if you never get on a bike and you only drive your car or if you ride your bike every day, um, on your car insurance, you want to have as much uninsured motorist coverage as you can possibly afford. It's the one thing that will protect you from either a hit and run driver or a driver who is underinsured. Yeah. The, the uninsured motorist coverage is also underinsured motorist coverage. So the, the law in Georgia is auto insurance, you have to have at least $25,000 of coverage to be legal. So there are a lot of people out there who only have $25,000 of coverage. Yeah. If you get hit and you break a collarbone, which is a pretty common um, injury that we see for folks who get hit and end up going over the handlebars. And if you end up having to have surgery uh, to repair a broken collarbone, you're looking at probably eighty dollars to $100,000 in bills. And you're looking at extensive time going to Athletes Potential, even with <laughs> Danny's magic of, of getting you right again, because you're going to need to get your range of motion back and your mobility back and your strength back. And it just takes some time to do that. And so here you are with all these bills. You've suffered um, physically with the pain of dealing with all this. And if the other driver only had $25,000, you can never be made whole for what you've been through on that. So having uninsured motorist coverage under your own policy then becomes something you can add to the other driver's limits hopefully in an amount that allows you an opportunity to come out at least, you're never going to feel like you came out ahead, but at least come out feeling like, you know, you were respected and were able to get back to a point where you're made whole for your losses. Well, I think this is a great point because that last time that we talked, um, the next day I called my insurance uh, and I maxed out, you know, uninsured, underinsured and med pay for our, um, for our vehicles. And, it was marginally more. I mean, it really wasn't significantly different. Maybe, I don't know, 10 or $20 a month difference. Like I was shocked at how little uh, uh, of an increase of the premium, premium it was. And 
I don't know why they don't tell you. I guess they just don't tell you that uh, whenever you're you're getting, or maybe they try to, and you're just like, dude, just give me the cheapest thing. And like, like most <laughs> too, do, too many but, people are only shopping for you know based on price. Yeah, and, and I think over time the agents realize that okay, well, if I if I quote somebody a higher cost for their insurance, they're not going to hear me talking about well with this one, you're getting what you need. The only thing they're going to hear is the dollar amount. And they're going to go to the guy who's offering them the same thing for a hundred dollars less. Exactly. Yeah. That's a great point. But I mean, to any, yeah, anybody that's, that's listening to this, that's, that is commuting. I mean, it, it, that, that makes a huge difference because yeah, you know, like you're saying, Bruce, I mean, if, look, if you're going to spend, if you spend a couple of days in the hospital and let's say it's worse than a broken collarbone, I mean, it's a lot more than $25,000. Right. And, and, you know, if you don't have that coverage on your end, then, you know, it is, guess who pays for it? You know, and that's, right, and that's, right. that's the whole point of insurance, right? Is to really like try to negate some of these negative things that, that potentially may, may happen. Um, you know, and, and if you're cycling, if you're, let's say you're, you're riding to work more, more often and it's a fairly busy road, likely it's probably higher than if, you know, if, if um, you're not right. Or, or if, um, if you're driving, although it's, it may be similar as if you're driving in a busy area as well, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. it is, it is what it is in Atlanta at this point. Um, but it's cool. You know, I mean, it's, it's cool to see the city. I'm not from here, but I kind of consider myself from here cause I've never lived anywhere longer than we've lived here. And, you know, it's, I do think that it's going to be, you know, really interesting to see what happens over the next, you know, five, 10 years in terms of, uh, of, of, ability for people to ride their bikes more. I hope it happens. I hope that it's something that's, um, you know, that they, they work towards it. I think it allows people, you know, from an activity standpoint to really, um, you know, get some more of that non-exercise based movement. They're going to get in anyway, kind of getting to it from work. Uh, and, and I think it also really gives people an opportunity to, you know, from an environmental standpoint as well, just not use your car as much. That's great. And you know what, just from a social standpoint, you, you see people, you talk to people, um, from, from an economic standpoint, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll drive through neighborhoods and if I didn't have a plan to stop there, I'm not stopping there. I'll just keep driving. Now I'm on my bike. If I, if I'm riding and I happen to ride past an ice cream place that looks good, I'll stop <laughs> in and have an ice cream or I go get a cup of coffee or, or whatever yeah. it might be. You know, there, there's a tremendous, uh, amount of power that comes from the, the, the economics of riding a bike. But yeah. I do think it's going to happen in the next five, 10 years are going to be a big change. What we see, I mean, obviously we talked about Atlanta as not being forward thinking. I think, you know, here in the city of Decatur, it's a very forward thinking place. And, and right. you look around at some of the construction that's going on right now, they're putting in a connected network of uh, separated bike lanes where you'll be separated from the car traffic. They're reducing the lanes available for cars to travel through the city while they're expanding the opportunities for folks to get around outside of the car. And that's going to provide more and more opportunities for for that. I, I go and I speak at uh, Renfro Middle School to the eighth graders every, I guess, twice a year wow. to talk to the eighth grade class. And these kids get it and they're sharp. And, and, and this is your next generation of drivers who are going to be um, not just more inclined to ride themselves because they learned good habits uh, and, and good technique at a young age, but also as drivers, they're going to be more in tune with the idea that bikes are out on the road and they're not going to be surprised. And they're not going to be uh, or hopefully they'll be less likely to crash into people on bikes because they've, been, they've grown up this way, right? Yeah. So, so all of that's really good. And even places that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be bike-friendly communities, I'll give you an example, City of Dunwoody. City of Dunwoody hmm. is currently debating an ordinance for what they call a vulnerable road user law. We've seen this in some states that are pretty forward-thinking, but it basically says that if you're in a car and, and your actions as a car driver hurt somebody who is not in a car, a pedestrian, someone in a wheelchair, uh, someone on a bike, 
someone on a scooter, um, the penalties for causing that harm are much greater than it would be in a car versus car uh, collision. So the idea being that if you hurt a person who is in a vulnerable position, um, it comes up with police officers responding to crashes or tow truck drivers as well. The penalties are going to be more severe and that may create, and the hope is it creates a deterrent effect uh, on driver negligent behavior because if people say, hang on a second, I'm not just going to get a ticket for $170 if I hit this person. I'm liable to go to jail for a week and wow. I'm going to have a $5,000 fine. You know, that, that maybe they're more attentive uh, when it comes to that sort of thing. Yeah. So uh, interesting that Dunwoody is the only city in the state that is pursuing this. But I think if it goes through, other cities will um, follow their lead and hopefully eventually the state will um, step up and, and recognize this as a statewide law. Man, so yeah, I, I, I think things things are changing, and and the next ten to fifteen years uh, will be an interesting time frame for everybody for getting around Atlanta. Yeah, well, I love it. It's just an opportunity to be, you know, a little bit more active when you know many of us don't have to be all that active if we don't want to. And, uh, you know, it just gives us a cool opportunity to get to work, but also, you know, get a little bit of extra movement during the day. Uh, you know, I'd say what, Bruce, this has been great. I want to finish with three questions that, uh, you know, we, we ask everybody. And uh, I know this first one is going to be in your wheelhouse because I know that you're heavily involved in Atlanta Eats. And uh, so I want to ask you, what's your favorite healthy spot to eat in Atlanta? Um, I love Super Jenny's. Mm. Uh, I was sad that it left the cater. But uh, Super Jenny's is in Brookhaven. They just opened up a new one in Roswell. They have uh, West, Mid Midtown, West Midtown, yep. and they have uh, a location. I'm leaving one of them out. Oh, Atlanta History Center, another one. Um, I know the owner Jenny Levinson. She's great. She's been committed to providing fresh and healthy food and a variety, uh, a variable menu every single day. Um, and and I think they're great. And, and and to me, that's that's the ultimate. So I love that place. Awesome. Um, what's your favorite outdoor activity to do in Atlanta? By the way, I'm not compensated for my Super Jenny endorsement. Su Su Super Jenny has I, a logo I'm, on the back of your little bike bib, I'm, little jersey. <laughs> I'm, I, I am willing to be compensated, but I'm not compensated for that. <laughs> um, okay, second question is, what's my favorite activity? Favorite outdoor activity to do in Atlanta? Hmm. Well, you know, I, um, I do still hold out dreams of being a uh, uh, age 60-plus master's competitor in the CrossFit games at I some like point. It. And I know they, they do the championships, at least, outdoors. So I, I don't they know do. if that would qualify since most of my training is indoors. But, but uh, it, it's an easy question for me. I mean, I just love riding a bike, and I love riding a bike around this town. Um, I certainly enjoy, you know, all the outdoor sports that, that Atlanta has to offer. And I love playing golf, and I love going to games. Um, but now for me, it's riding a bike without where, where in, in particular, if you had, if you could only ride one place in Atlanta, where would it be? If somebody is not really comfortable riding around cars or being around cars, the silver comet trail is a great place to go. Mm. Um, you can catch it out in Smyrna and, and, and running uh, out towards Alabama. You can catch it at various spots, but it's, it's a protected path that runs all the way to uh, the Alabama state line and then continues on into Alabama. Uh, and it's a great place to just go out and ride. If you just want to ride and feel what it's like being on a bike and have that sense of freedom and, and fun and excitement of, of being on a bike. For me, I, I love riding out uh, at Stone Mountain and going out there because it's hilly. You know, the Silver yeah. Comet Trail is pretty much flat, but I like a nice hill to, to kick my tail as I'm going up it and then you know, the reward of, of just tearing ass down and afterwards. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, I kind of like the Hills. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Uh, okay. What's, what's one healthy habit that you personally have developed that you feel like has dramatically, uh, affected your health? 
Um, I schedule on my calendar time for exercise every single day. And so it, it's not just something that I get to it when I get to it and I don't have a gym time if I can do it here or do it there. It's, it's scheduled like any other appointment, and because of that, I keep it like I do any other appointment. And for me, that's been the thing that has kept me, I think, uh, the most active, the most fit. And, um, you know, I, I don't think it would work for me otherwise because I would always find something else to get in the way on my schedule that would, that would eliminate my window of opportunity to get out and uh, work on my fitness. Man. What a solid answer. That's like, <laughs> that's such, but that's such a, uh, j just an actionable, simple thing, you know, that, that somebody could do. And, and, I, you know, I feel like a lot, everybody's busy, right? No matter who they are, that everybody's, everybody's busy. Everybody wishes they had more time. Um, and I, I feel like that's such a great way of looking at it, right? Like you're creating this appointment with yourself to do this thing that, you know, you prioritize. Cause if you don't, and, and you're right, if you don't just think about what happens to your schedule, I mean, you will find other things to fill that time. Um, you know, with all of the stuff, the stuff that you do, it'll get filled in with something else. So, um, that's great, man. What a, what a great, uh, piece of advice. Well, thanks. It doesn't have to be the same time every day. Uh, because like for me, I generally like to, uh, work out in the afternoons, but I know sometimes I'm not going to have the opportunity to do that. So, all right, well, that, that day I'm just going to get in early and do it then, or I'm, I'm going to skip lunch and, and get something in at lunchtime, but I'm going to carve out the time somewhere to get it done. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Well, guys, um, I'll give you a chance, Bruce, to let everybody know as well. Just plug your, uh, your group. If they, if, if they are, you know, uh, uh, they're cycling, they're, they're commuting to work on a bike. Uh, maybe they, you know, are looking for uh, an advocate. Maybe they, they, they have something that has come up. Um, if they want to reach out to your group interested in working with you or just finding out more about what you guys do, uh, where's, where's the best place for them to get more information? Yeah, really. And, and sometimes people just have questions or just want to talk or ask if their insurance is adequate or whatever. So you can always reach out. Um, my last name is H-A-G-E-N and the website is hagen-law.com. Uh, so you can always get me that way. You can also go to bikelaw.com. Uh, Bike Law is a national brand and I'm, um, we're in about 20 different states and certainly I'm in the Georgia uh, location. So if you go to bikelaw.com and click on Georgia, that'll take you to me. You can email me bruce at bikelaw.com or bruce at hagen-law.com. You can find me all over the uh, internet. I mean, basically, if you can't find me, it's because you're just not trying to find me. Okay? I'm, I'm out there. I'm you, you, out there to be found. <laughs> If you can't find Bruce, you have a you have a tech problem. You have a <laughs> right, you have an issue right. I tell you what, man, going to Hagen Law is worth uh, worth it just to check out the sweet picture of you on this bike and like, dude, you, you are you flexing in that? You look you look extra jacked in that picture. I, I felt it too. I, I did a few curls before the photo session just to <laughs> stay jacked. Uh, and and uh, the real secret is I, I normally wear a size large uh, kit for my bike, but yeah. that's a youth that's a youth medium. You know, I'm really mm. squeezing into that one. So that's a pro uh, tip. No, that's, that's cool. And that's the pro tip right there. So <laughs> they're you know curls and and youth medium. Yeah. Oh, sweet. All right. Next time I get some pictures taken, I'm gonna take I'm taking that <laughs> that, that that advice. That way I can uh, I can look a little more jacked. This has been great, man. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy guy, um, and and I know I hope everybody appreciates all the information that uh, that you have, and that you're you're the man um, to go to if, if there's any you know bike issues in, in the area, personal injury stuff going on. So, Bruce, thanks so much for your time, and guys, as always, thanks so much. So, thanks so much for listening to the podcast, and we'll catch you next time. 
Hey, thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. If you want to find out more about our guests or about Athletes Potential and how we can help you continue to be active and pain-free in life, head over to athletespotential.com to learn more.